Fangoria's latest movie, Porno, is available on demand now. When five teen employees at the local movie theater in a small Christian town discover a mysterious old film hidden in its basement, they unleash an alluring succubus who gives them a sex education, written in blood. See the movie some moms are calling not family-friendly at all. Porno is available on demand everywhere. And we are very excited to welcome the Boulay Brothers to the Fangoria Podcast Network. Join horror hosts, producers, writers, and drag icons for their new show, The Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night, on the Fangoria Podcast Network. On each episode, the Boulay Brothers welcome listeners to join them as they discuss the latest projects they're working on, share behind-the-scenes details from their hit show, The Boulay Brothers Dragula, streaming now on Netflix, and more. Subscribe now and listen everywhere you get your audio content. Hi, and welcome back to Attack of the Queer Wolf. I'm Nay. I'm Michael. And I'm Brennan. Hi. Hi. We're all here. Feels like it's been a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel that way. Although each day feels like a year. (laughs) And each year as a day. Yes. I know. But I I like this Zoom component. It's really nice to see your faces. Yours too. I'm very grateful for it. (laughs) Me too. I actually am really glad we do it this way. (laughs) Me too. What else have you been staring at? Oh my God. Your screens. (laughs) Trying to remember what Brian and I have watched. We're watching Dead to Me season two. Um, have you, either of you seen season one? Brennan doesn't watch TV. I don't even know what, like what's, (laughs) who's, who's on that show. Dead to me is the one with Christine Applegate on Netflix. I'm like, what Netflix is it on? In the words of Brennan. What'd you say? (laughs) Linda Cardellini. What Netflix is it on? (laughs) (laughs) But it's in season two. So class, it's like a mystery comedy. So the first season, Christine Applegate's husband was killed in a hit and run accident. Like he was run over by a car and they never um, figured out who it did. And she meets Linda Cardellini at a grief support group. And quickly you find out that Linda Cardellini's character, Judy, um, was involved in the hit and run. And but is like overcome with sorrow and, a, uh, you know, guilt that she's like trying to actually get into Jen's life. Who's Christina Applegate and like make things better for her. It's weird. It's like really she, weird to explain because if you explain too much, you can give away because each episode ends on like a cliffhanger and it's really fun. What Brennan? Well, I think it's on is it like a kind of for this week. Never mind. It is on theme. It's is on it what theme for this week? Absolutely. And she's like trying to be like a guardian angel kind of thing at first. Kinda. It's weird. It's hard to explain because Linda Cardellini's so good and her character is so weird. <laughs> so super weird that you wonder what her motives are the entire time. Um but season two is like even darker, if possible. Oh. Um and has a new mystery going on that you're more privy to. So it's like kind of like the reverse. It's like you're, you know what happened and you're trying to go along with them as they like 
prevent it from being found out by other people. Oh, okay. So like the first season's like a mystery and here you're like involved in the cover up. Um but Christina Applegate <laughs> like that's Scooby, hi Scooby. Christina hi, Applegate Scooby. um is such a good actress. And so is Linda Cardellini, but Christina Applegate can fucking cry. <laughs> and I'm here for a good cry. Um especially since that's all we do half the time now. <laughs> Totally fair. It's good to have a a different reason to cry. <laughs> yes. So yes. when I watch that, and like Brian and I are also on like franchise kicks, so we la- watch like a couple of the Hellraisers, the first two Back to the Futures. Um, you know, he finally watched like the first eight Friday the Thirteenth with me. That's a you know a solid chunk of them. It is. It's a really good chunk of them, and I you know it was pretty interesting because he'd watch one. He had seen like one and two and three throughout the years, but he mm-hmm. would like watch one and go, "Let's watch the next one. Let's watch oh. the next one." And then by the time we got to Manhattan, he's like, "We're done." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, I exactly mirroring a uh, box office in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, Brian was like the. And he was going on the trajectory, like was like, wait, why is part six so good out of nowhere? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty funny how like after part eight, he was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm good with these. <laughs> so, but yeah, just a lot of comfort watching besides dead to me. Yeah. I've been rewatching you? the walking dead, which I already said yeah. I think, a few episodes ago, but. Uh, I am finally in season seven and I finally am watching new things. So oh. I'm like finally caught up oh. to where I was because the first round oh, I stopped watching after a certain person died. I was like, I can't tolerate that. <laughs> like, I don't oh, want to watch anymore. And there's a character in the show named Negan who mm-hmm. he's just so cruel that sometimes I can't stomach him. Like it, yeah. he like gives me the willies. Yeah. He's, he's just like, Denny he's also really hot and I want him and Rick Denny to fuck so bad. But um, <laughs> I mean, obviously that's not going to happen, but there's some steam between the two. And I feel like Megan yeah. is a bisexual Um. anyway. Uh, yeah. So rewatching that, and what else did I'm trying I... to remember what season I stopped on that show. I'm that like, was do like, you remember I, what else I watched? <laughs> I was a huge Walking Dead fan. Like, huge Walking Dead fan. Like, I had a whole, my whole weekend was planned around it on Sunday <laughs> yes. nights. Um, but I stopped watching. Carol did, Carol didn't kill somebody when I thought she should have. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm piecing out here. The characters are starting to do things. <laughs> to move the plot along as opposed to doing what their character would do, mm. you know, or like to like not double tapping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was just like, I think I'm done. I think it might've been in Carol? season six. Cause the wolves were running around. Remember the wolves? Oh Lord. That whole, like posse, the W's on <laughs> yes. their forehead. <laughs> uh, Carol has a really interesting character development. I feel like I didn't she catch really it does. my first time through the show. My first time through the show, I was obsessed with Daryl's development and I still am mm-hmm. and forever mm-hmm. will be. Uh, but Carol, their relationship is cute. Oh my God. I love their relationship. It's so cute. It's so and cute. Hot. It's pure and, friendship. Um, yeah. So yeah, Carol's really interesting. I didn't clock like 
<laughs> so many things about her uh, my first time through, but this time yeah, she's one that has one of the best characters. She probably has the best character arc on that show. Yeah, actually, yeah, she yeah. is a really interesting character. Yeah, who's the who's the most boring character on that show? Everyone. <laughs> um, uh, you know who I really was excited they brought back was Morgan. Oh yeah, um, that is the great. pilot. But I yeah. found him to be incredibly boring when he came back. He he gets better. He gets better. I was okay, gonna say yeah. Judith is the most boring. The baby. I'm just like, damn. You just I gotta take care of oh, you the all baby. the time. <laughs> Zombie. And then bait. like the the teen melodrama with Carl and that girl was so. Oh annoying. my god, I'm obsessed with Carl. Like, Ugh, just kill them. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Carl. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I yeah, obsessed with Carl. And I liked Emily anyway. a lot. Who? Emily maybe is, might be the actress. That, Emily might be the actress's name, like the blonde haired girl whose sister dies in like the first season. Her older sister dies in the first season. Um, she's the girl that sings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah, like yeah. her. Wait, the girl that sings is the sister, yeah. Beth? Is, she's like a teenage girl. Yeah, Beth. She's one of the younger ones. Her sister yeah, dies you know, in like one of the first few episodes of the season, of the first season. I was, I was not satisfied with Beth the the some of the uh the the storyline i don't want to spoil anything five years later mm-hmm. but <laughs> i know what you're talking about yeah i was like Meh. but yeah um, anyway what about you the, literally the oh just, i had a quick question about walking dead actually really quick oh um this is the only situation where this is the case but i've actually read more of the comic than i have seen of the show are the gays from the comic in the show? Do they show up at some point? Well, there are gays in the show. I don't know if they're the same. Yeah. Okay, okay there are gays, though, is what there, okay, there are gays. You know, they sprinkle in some black Many people, at some point, right? sprinkle in some gays. There's a few Asian folks. Um, or wait, maybe just like one, actually. Glenn. Um, but yeah, no, sometimes when they kill off, like when there's a black character that dies, I'm like, God damn it. Now we're not going to yeah. get a whole crew for a few more seasons because you got to like slowly build up black people over the course of like 180 days or something. <laughs> like it just takes a certain <laughs> amount of time. So yeah. Like a cicada. I'm yeah, there like, was a, a gay guy introduced that I thought was really cute. I can't remember his character's name. There's a cute guy. To be able to tell you if he was from the from the comic book, Brennan, but actually oh, no, that's I okay. look it up like, really quick. The actor is actually really talented. He can do like the craziest impressions um let me look him up really quick because it's Mm. gonna bother me ross marquand is the actor i feel like i've heard of him and he plays aaron on the walking dead okay i think that's one of the gays i read these comics Mm. in high school so okay there is one he was uh i believe his character in the show is engaged even as well oh fun uh 
there is this one community that they happen upon in The Walking Dead where it's only women. And when they, they find out that like, it's because all of the men got killed and I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's why. That's why it's a commune of dykes. They even like look like fucking dykes. Like everyone looks so gay. Like, yeah, sure. All the men just died. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. There was anyway, so many Brennan, please there. stop me. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, I do have another crummy, but first, before that, um, I did watch the remake of Valley Girl that came out on oh, or yeah, home, home premiere. Yes, uh, Jessica Roth from Happy Death Day, friend of the show, um, stars as Valley Girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this one is a. Right? Yes, it is a jukebox musical remake using a bunch of like 80s hit songs of the movie Valley Girl. Um, look, an ill-advised jukebox musical is the exact kind of thing that I like want in my life. So I kind of, I, I watched it, quote, whatever opening, whatever the phrase for opening night is in this quarantine hellhole that we're in. Um, like the first night it dropped online, I watched it. Uh, it was fine. I will say, Jessica Roth, luminous. No, (laughs) I I will. She's a star. Yeah. And she gets to wear an astounding variety of eighties outfits. I love them all. Um, She gets to sing and dance and she's good at those things. Um, Right. The, her romantic lead, I did not find interesting at all. Like she had, was not really bouncing off of anything. She was just kind of like glowing in her own and not being reflected by him necessarily. I felt, um right yeah, her and, eyes sparkle don't they oh oh yeah, yeah. she's got the I feel you. she's got she's the it like, she's effervescent yeah yeah and <laughs> but i will say there was not a lot of thought put into the song choices either they just popped on like a now cd of 80s hits and they're like all right take on me sure it's in here um <laughs> and also like good on the movie for having a queer character but it's the worst kind of like annoying straight people are adding a queer character into their movie type situation um it's may whitman playing like (laughs) yep um it's may whitman playing like a lesbian best friend to the the dude guy and of course there's a couple lines where he's like you know like that girl he used to date, well, yada yada. It's like, oh wow, she's a lesbian, but she, all she does is gonna like support this guy, and then at the end, we're gonna throw her next to someone who's been like completely perceived as straight the entire movie, like only dating opposite sex people, and they share eye contact, and they're supposed to like have fallen in love, and like, thank you, representation, we did it. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, so I don't know if I would recommend it other than you should watch Jessica Roth do everything yeah. in all things. I've watched yes. Jessica Roth in far worse motion pictures. <laughs> I was also first in line for Forever My Girl, which is also not... It's the country music faux Nicholas Sparks movie that Jessica Roth is in. <laughs> oh, She's also great in it. Um, uh, I, I, th- yeah, whatever. You know, you could do worse. Um... Anyway, I do have a crummy movie to share with you guys today. Um, you all. It's a 
It's from 1967. It's by uh, the director Alfred Vorer, who we've uh, discussed a lot. I'm sure you recall. Um, oh yeah, and for those just tuning in, the crimey movies are these uh, kind of crime slasher movies from Germany in the early and to mid 60s that were um, adapted from Edgar Wallace novels. Um, this one's called Der Mönch mit der Peitsche, which means well, no, well, it means the monk with the whip, but the English title is the College Girl Murders. Um, I'm doing this one on behalf of Paula Hafley, who donated to yeah. No, oh, Paula. What's up? Paula? Yes, Paula is great. Hi, Paula. Um, I wanted to do a good one for her, and I think I hope this is it. Um, it also features Joachim Fuchsberger, who's been in like all of these. <laughs> um, this is a song one because she donated at that level. Um, for those who don't <laughs> recognize it, I'm doing it to the tune of Nine Days uh, Absolutely. Parentheses, story of a girl. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so here we go. Okay, five, six, seven. Okay. Uh, this is a story of some girls who went to college and got themselves killed. And by including them in the script, we actually had women with major roles. <laughs> it was an inheritance scheme. They kept sneaking this one guy out of prison. Their lair had an alligator pit. But they used a Bible that shot poison gas. And also there was this monk guy wearing a red KKK robe. It's weird. He killed people with the whip. (laughs) This film had more villains than Spider-Man 3. It was fun in a very dumb way where crimmies take logic and throw it away. Who cares (laughs) if it copied that one from yesterday? This is a story of some girls who wear some stunning 60s hairstyles. And Yoahim had no love interest. What a breath of fresh air. It made me smile. <laughs> so Very that's, good. That's the College Girl Murders. Thank you. College everyone. Girl Murders. I love the title. <laughs> yeah, it was it was wacky as fuck. Like, it was it was interesting. <laughs> how long was that? I love asking you how long movies are. God, I don't know. I mean, the Crimmies are all like 90 minutes or under, so it's really my jam, personally. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was going for. Was one yeah. of like 80. No, look. 80 minutes. If it was if if these movies were going to be longer than 2 hours, I would never have started this. Oh yeah, it's it's an hour 28 is what we're looking at. Okay. Okay. Okay, hmm. not bad. Yeah. How long um, was well, Cool. Hi Paula. How how long Sorry, what we had to watch for today? How long was it? Um, oh God, I, I I don't even know. I can look it up. Yeah, I don't. Quick. I've never paid yeah, attention. With that being said, because it's so good and so captivating, um, it's an hour thirty-five. Okay, well, hour and thirty-five. Yeah, that seems right. Okay. Okay. Well, tracks. Well, like, like, look, to- I think. Bring up an old friend. I know that this is a beloved movie of many listeners. We've been asked about it several, several, several times. And so we were like, we got to give it to him. We have to do the Baba Duke. Of course. <laughs> so, right off the top, I have to know what your opinions of this movie are, either in the form of a shady summary or something you'd really want to make sure gets discussed during our conversation. Okay. Um, I mean, my quick summary is 
the child in this movie is the best birth control ever. <laughs> I mean, okay. Um, uh, my shady summary is I own the Babadook pop-up book, so I'm legally barred from throwing shade toward this movie. Um, but also I do have one from our Facebook group at attack of the queer wolf pack. This one's from James Franklin and it says, fuck. And I cannot stress this enough. Them kids. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, uh, that poor Samuel. He just, he doesn't, he never had a chance with that mom. No. Exactly. That mom. Exactly. I feel you know, like, like I hate this kid so much in this movie, but my other shady summary was also like, you know, the only thing worse than Samuel is his mom. <laughs> <laughs> that part. Right? Apple I in mean, the tree. Apple uh-huh. in the tree. <laughs> yeah. I no, I think. I actually really enjoy this film. No, this movie is amazing. Um, I've, did you, have you ever seen uh, Monster, the short that Jennifer Kent did in 2005? that the Babadook's based no. on it's on, I think it's on yes. YouTube. I watched it on Vimeo. Like you can watch it for free. It's like 10 minutes long. Um, oh, but okay. it's basically a really similar storyline without the explanation for like why the grief is there. Okay. So yeah, it's really interesting. And it was in black and white. And I had read that, um, they did want to shoot Babadook in black and white, but then decided to like use color in other ways or like lack of color or which is like really noticeable oh. so soon into the film. Yeah. It's a very definitely... movie. Yeah. It's so emotional. Just Kinda like has, um, the aesthetic. Yeah. The aesthetic reminds me of like, um, the ring in a, in a way like it's just yeah. a dark colored film like everything sure. is very cloudy and foggy and drab mm-hmm. and dreary and mm-hmm. you know yeah, and kind of it, it's perfectly it looks perfect because it is about grief yeah and like where the the ring has these kind of like mossy kind of like aqua colors of something mm. that is kind of like rotted and gone to seed this is just colors completely leached away from her life in the babadook it's yeah. it's yeah. almost sepia it's grim <laughs> Yeah, yeah really she's though. really just holding on by a thin, 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 scraggly thread. <laughs> and she's just, like, getting her ass to work every day, getting Samuel to school. And, like, that's about it. Like, the woman, with that one time she starts to masturbate, you can tell it's been a long-ass time since she did that. Like, she, mm-hmm. <laughs> she really poor little Samuel. never gets be there. much for herself. Yeah she's in survival mode she has this grief that she hasn't processed and then finally does and then all hell breaks loose yeah and there's like a, an interesting thing in this the latest rewatch for me where i you know because as you both know and the audience knows at this point i'm a huge fan of kids dying in horror movies <laughs> and also like always and just whenever this movie gets brought up i'm like kill that fucking kid but Watching it with more of a focus on not wanting him to be murdered the whole time, <laughs> I guess it's the quickest way to put it and actually watch it in the context. It's the first time I've watched it where I really truly felt bad for the kid because like, he doesn't even get to fucking celebrate his birthday on his birthday because mm-hmm. mom decided he doesn't get to anymore, you know? And like, yeah. 
Yeah, that I thing think- really stuck with me this time because it reminds me a little bit of the conversation we've had, weirdly enough, with Angela not getting to mm-hmm. being forced by an adult to live a role or a life that she, you know what I mean? Like living for somebody yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Like her yeah. whole existence was for her aunt. And here, yeah. It's it's not even existence was for his mom. It was like his existence was in his mom's way. I don't know. It's like really yeah, hard to explain. Definitely just in like her way. It's so muddled. Yeah, yeah. His existence was definitely in her way. She could never find it within herself to love him because he symbolized. She resents the fuck out of him. The death of her man. Like he died driving yeah. her to the hospital and she never processed that. And then it was just stuck with this, you know, parasite that needs a lot, <laughs> a lot of yeah. love and care and attention. And she didn't have it. She didn't have it in her. She's like, I do not have the capacity to take care of this child. And not only that, he's a little wild, you know, he got, he's a little wild. Yeah. He got a lot going on. And it was just exacerbated by the whole situation. And my first watches, I, hated that kid i was like oh my god you're fucking annoying and then my most recent watches i feel really really bad for him garbage disposal i feel really really bad for him but i can also also relate to the mom when she finally starts like cussing his ass out because (laughs) if that looked like it felt really good (laughs) i was like oh she's moving through the stages right now she's popping off on him she just hit a new a new plane. <laughs> she's Ooh, a, she really... she's hit anger hard. You know, but the, uh, but this time too. May I go ahead? It, just how powerful that anger is, and how it's so uncool. Mm. I find it uncomfortable to be angry, especially angry like that. But as like a a stage of grief or whatnot it's so important to to be to have that at some point to feel angry or denied something and to acknowledge mm-hmm. that that's the truth of the situation and it's okay that you feel that way because once once you and finally get that out there <laughs> i was gonna say you know good you like think about how good you felt in your life when you've let like rage take over for a minute finally yes. and like it, it actually live out loud with it Yes, and like it's the best. It, like immediately afterwards, you're like, "Oh, why didn't I do this like six months ago?" <laughs> yeah, you know, most of the time, most of the time, sometimes it's like, "Oh, hell!" <laughs> Shit, what did I just do? What did I just do? I made it worse. I made it so much worse. <laughs> but in her moment, she she wasn't even worried about that. She just wanted him to go the fuck away and make himself a sandwich or uh-huh. whatever the hell he needs to do. Yeah. Well, and poor also in the sense of like tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Why did that just that kill poor me? Poor baby and his magic tricks. Oh no. <laughs> and just like you know that thing where like your who you're relating to can switch within the movie. I think that's a mark of why the Babadook is a good movie Mm. is that its characters are characters. There's not really a villain in the Babadook. There is a monster. Mm. um, But also, you know, the Babadook kind of, the Babadook itself transforms and becomes something else much in the way that grief does perhaps. Mm, Um, But yeah, like there's no actual 
human or perhaps even monster antagonist to this movie. Like all the humans, you can put yourself in their shoes and understand what they're going through and understand that it's shitty and why they would not want to be with the person that they're with. Like why it's just such a poor match. Like I obviously relate to the mom, like as a more adult person who looks at a child and is like, no, thank you. Um, But, and also I think the movie does strongly upon first watch ask you to relate to the mom. Um, This is a movie about the dark side of of motherhood, about admitting that sometimes like sometimes as a mom, you're not going to have those mom feelings and how challenging that is. Um, But obviously sometimes as a mom, you look at your kid and you're like, I wish you were fucking dead. (laughs) Okay. Michael zero to 100. (laughs) Christ. No, I was actually talking to my um, therapist about that today about how no kidding I about how I don't want children and how one of my concerns is that I would not like my child. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I just like mm-hmm. because it's over the phone right now in therapy, I'm like I wish I could see this man's face because <laughs> I just feel like <laughs> sometimes it sounds really I'm like no, I what if I don't like the little fucker? Like, what if you're an asshole? What if you're mean? What if you're a bully? What if you're a Republican? Like, I, I don't what know if he's bad at magic. what I would do with that. Bad at magic. <laughs> what if, if you want to do fucking magic tricks? Throw and, them away. You know, need me. Okay, you're with your little Kevin McAllister ass making all these booby traps. Like, I can't. You're doing too much. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about the mom and Samuel is like, you know, like, can you blame Samuel though? Like, no, not at all. Clearly, he doesn't know there's no love there, but like, he's getting no love. He does though. And, I mean, he does, but he's Eventually. also like the 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 way he acts is like from having a mother who resents him. You know what I mean? Yeah. He acts out because he's yes. ex- experiencing mental yes. and emotional trauma from his mom. Yes. You know, um, you know, so like sometimes I, I remember being that kid in the backseat of a car and screaming my fucking ass off until I got their attention. You know, um, I never looked like a strange <laughs> child while doing that. <laughs> nah, but, my, mom, my mom's arms you know, reached like, to the backseat, so there was no screaming. Until- <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like, nah, she got hands. So absolutely Sometimes not. I was in a station wagon of, with nine people, so you had to scream at the top of your lungs to even be heard over anybody. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I watched it this time with a much different, like, eye on Samuel because I've always mm-hmm. just been like oh fuck that kid and I was like well, maybe I'll watch it with like a little bit more of an open mind <laughs> and I'm still like fuck that kid but it's also like kind of fuck that mom for kind of there's like a little for me it's not just about grief there's like a little nature versus nurture thing going on in the story too like yeah. is is Samuel a product of who he is or is he a product of what his mom has kind of made him be because of her lack of just warmth in a lot of, of course ways, you know well i think that if the question is is it nature or is it nurture the answer is yes well yeah, that's, yeah. i mean that's what it is both, for but, sure uh, i mean he does eventually know that she doesn't love him because he says like the babadook wouldn't let you love me but i'm gonna love you anyway like he's that precious ugh. he's that much of a little fucking baby. He's so sweet when it gets down to it and smart and innovative. Yeah. With his little fucking 
fucking knives and balls and shit flying through the air, <laughs> whatever <laughs> else he does. Um, but it's so interesting. Yeah, he, he is a talented kid. He's a very talented kid. And he, I feel like this movie, it shows like a few different kinds of grief that happen. Like whether it's the grief when you realize that your mom don't like you or the grief when you lose your husband, the grief <laughs> when your sister won't tolerate your shit anymore or your sister's just a bitch, like whichever way that it is. I, all of her sister's friends are lucky that she didn't lose her shit that day. Like they're lucky it happened at home with Samuel because if I had to go to someone's birthday party with their little bratty kids and then their bitchy little mom circle, I would have, that's when I would have popped off. You like, you're not <laughs> this, this like panel of women treating me like shit. Like I would have, I hopefully I would have, you know, ate them up, ate them up, <laughs> pushed all of them out so of the tree cool. house. Okay. Busted their lips. Like leave me, like you are so rude and no one has any compassion or empathy or even tough love. Like why her sister, well, I guess her sister did maybe have some tough love moments, but no one's just like, damn bitch, you are going the fuck through it. Like, do you need help? Do you need us to shut the fuck up? Like, what do you, like, what do you need right now? D- can, can someone well, come yeah, the, clean your the- house? Can someone like bring over a meal? The only the only person that was down was the neighbor, the sweet old neighbor who like loved Samuel, even though he was annoying. Like, you know, everybody needs someone who still loves them, even though they're annoying as fuck. Like, that's so necessary. She really held it down. And I feel like those are we I don't know, like the kind of communities people live in, but if you see something happening with a neighborhood family, like there are ways to show support to like young people or to whomever and just let them know that you're there in little ways. And I feel like the neighbor, she really held it down for them. My mom and I growing up, like we had neighbors who were like that, who would just notice that like there's a single mom going through X, Y, Z. I feel like we all can find ways to do that with people. Um, that just make like a really, really big difference or can make a big difference. Um, I love, I love that yeah. addition, like that relationship between Samuel and the the old neighbor lady. Cause and the woman, there yeah. were a couple old ladies that I would visit. My Cute. grandparents managed an apartment complex for older folks. And when I was little, I would go visit them. And then there were a couple <laughs> like old ladies in the apartment complex that I would go hang out at like their houses for a couple hours and clearly just like entertain them they would like, you know, give me banana bread and uh, shit. And I would like come over and talk. And th- I, it was the best. It was the best. Banana I actually bread. loved it. I, they did, you know, they had some banana bread on deck, boy. Like they have banana bread on deck. I would go over, um, <laughs> tell them about different shit, you know, do kid shit. Available. Did, did some kind of magic trick. I'm sure. Like, and they just like loved it. Cause they were lonely. And, I would just make my rounds to, to, mm. to different old ladies to sample all of the <laughs> treats, you know, and that's just, yeah. And it's so sweet to me. And you're so right that that is what people in that situation need. Like they need help. They need, you know, like acts of service. They don't need a room full of Karens. Right. right. Exactly. Well, like the sister, exactly. like her sister is like 
always like to me like feels like she's in a constant state of embarrassment Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm sorry, my husband's death and the tormenting grief I've been feeling for six years is embarrassing to you. Correct. Um, that part. You Just know, say like, that. Oh, the worst you know? thing you're feeling in this is embarrassment. Like, at least you're, you know, you're not, your significant other isn't fucking dead. Or, you know, like, you don't, do you feel yeah. the brunt of responsibility for someone's death your whole day, de- your whole life? bitch yeah you're mildly inconvenienced her sister is a goddamn fucking wearing a mask on the street of a goddamn movie refusing to do it (laughs) this joke is for i mean it really brings up it's like how do we support our loved ones or our friends which our loved ones um through different mental health needs that they may have, our family members, like none of us owe anyone anything and no one owes us anything necessarily, but obviously humans, we can thrive through interdependence. If you have the capacity. I know that I definitely, definitely need my loved ones to take care of me when I can't take care of myself or when I'm struggling to do that. It's the only way that I'm alive that much. So if her sister doesn't want to deal with her shit, like that's actually okay. But she has to say that, like, I'm not going to just stick around while you treat me like shit. Otherwise fucking help me. Damn. That's exactly (laughs) it. When my dad died two years ago, I remember, you know, I was home for a few weeks and I came back to LA and was working and, I remember the first thing feeling for like months being at work or like doing things and literally having a constant feeling of like, why is the world continuing right now? Like, don't people know what I'm going through? Like literally feeling like this is bizarre that I'm at work or this is bizarre that I'm out to dinner with friends. Like don't like you almost for me and I talked to a good friend of mine whose father passed away the year before. And he said he had the same feelings a lot of the time too. Like, why isn't everyone feeling the thing I'm feeling right now? And it's like a mental, for me, it was like a mental thing that I couldn't connect. And like, it's, it's really weird. Grief is just super fucked up. And like, if you're not going through it, like the best thing is to do to ask. But also for me, what I learned, I have six siblings. So like, the grief process was very different for some of my siblings than it was for me. Um, you know, being the only gay child in a family, Irish Catholic family of seven in Cleveland, Ohio, there was obviously some unresolved things going on when my father passed away. And even just the, the, what the death meant for me was different than my siblings. But I also, grieve differently like i cried with brian i cried with friends i cried with family but i had sisters who would text 400 fucking times a day (laughs) and constantly talk about him and i learned in that moment the greatest gift i gave myself was i finally spoke up because it was really killing me i was like literally like can i just have a fucking day where it's not a bombardment and i finally just had to like I don't want to say put my foot down. I just had to speak up for myself. Mm. And I finally like replied to them and I said, I can't do this every day anymore. You need to take me off this thread train or this text chain. I'm sorry if this like hurts you, but like my grief process is much different. And these 400 texts don't help me the way they help you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like, honestly, from that point on, it was like a different thing for me. Like, Mm. I started to like have that acceptance. I think granted, like 
there's still days like today I had a moment where like I saw this photo that my brother sent me and my dad's handwriting was on it from 35 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And that really, for some reason, just hit me. Yeah. Um, Hand- handwriting is, is emotional. It is because it's like you, I saw it and I was like, that's my dad. Like I knew yeah. that was his handwriting immediately. He didn't even need to tell me. Yeah. I'm like, oh. are those dad's notes on that fucking high school football article from 1985? And he's like, yes. I'm like, holy shit, that's so on brand. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like having a sister who's just kind of like, you're going to ruin my kid's birthday party with your kid being there. It's like, fuck you, bitch. Like, <laughs> First of all, bitch, I will ruin your life. So try me. <laughs> You're like, I have a book I need you to read. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to beat you with it. Yeah. You know, Michael, what you said about like, you're grieving this humongous loss and the world just keeps going. It's like, um, I think one thing about this pandemic, it's that it's like everything has not everything has stopped, but so many things have stopped and there's so much collective grief. It's like finally people well, okay, no, that's like a very broad statement, but it's like people finally believe other people's pain or trauma or their trauma and pain is finally val like valid to everyone. So like, If you're like, oh, I'm just stressed out because of the state of the world. Finally, people are like, oh, yeah, totally. Whereas for lots of people, for people of color, for queer people of color, for gay people, queer people, trans people, you could have asked us 50 years ago, you know, oh, I'm just so upset and grieving because of the state of the world. And we would have been like, oh, yeah, totally. You know, so I feel like in a lot of ways, emotions that I felt for a long time or the level of emergency that I felt for a long time, a lot of that is being validated right now. And it's like the world actually in some ways really did stop. And it, not that everyone's grief and loss is being acknowledged because it's not, and not even by the president. Um, But as someone who's lost a lot of loved ones in my lifetime, I feel like, and sometimes many people at once when I read these stories on Twitter of people losing like both of their parents to, to COVID or like Mm. an aunt and a cousin and a sister. And we all are like mourning and stopping. I'm like, yes, like I have wanted the space and time to be able to feel and mourn and not have to like go to work the next day or like have everyone mad that like you couldn't show up to dinner. Like everything has stopped. Not everything. We know that, but like things there's time it's like there's time now and people are allowed to not be okay or they're allowed to like be losing it because of isolation or not having their needs met or i i feel like there's all of this assistance that one disabled people have advocated for since forever um in trying to accommodate Mm -hmm. different kinds of things but there's also like you know deferment to loans and like no interest rate during like this specific time. And I'm like, I needed that shit six months ago. Okay. (laughs) I'm like, there's a pandemic now. So like everyone has showing compassion, but it's like, if you were poor before this, you always needed like Mm -hmm. a stimulus check and you always needed someone to defer your payment for six months. And you always needed like a neighbor to see if you needed groceries. And (laughs) part of it is like, I feel like there's a little bit of relief in all of that being acknowledged. I think there is because I think there's an aspect to it too, where like 
people who this country is so weird because it prides itself on like fucking patriotism and like doing everything on your own and America, like, like nationalism in a way, you know? And it's like a lot of people are starting to realize like how help and just kindness should actually be a part of the daily life and not just during a pandemic. And that's why when people are like, I can't wait for it to get back to normal. And I'm like, you, you want to go back to what it was before? Cause it wasn't great then either, mm-hmm. you know, but we also still are. And I'm hoping this mold is starting to break a little bit too, with the idea that there's something to feel guilty about, about getting sick mm-hmm. or that you did something wrong. And that's why you're sick. You know, like I think with something like a pandemic and this disease, it's starting hopefully to break down that barrier of people thinking, oh, like how, oh, they have cancer. What did you do? Right. You know, it's like, you know, people just get fucking sick. Yeah. It's, it's human nature. So like, yeah, this, this movie kind of goes hand in hand with, with everything going on in in the state, in the world right now, because like you said, where was this help six months ago? Where right. was it six years ago? Why is it so, why are we, this whole bootstrap bullshit that Americans pride themselves on? Why, why was that a thing? You know? <laughs> and like, but then you see the other side of it and you got a fucking dude pissed off that he has to wear a mask at Costco. Like, fuck you, right. dude. Like right. that's the one thing you had to do that day that you had to sacrifice was a piece of cloth over your nose and mouth. So like it's bringing out the best and the worst in people. Right. When it's a white hood, it doesn't bother you. Very American thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good tie in in terms of like grief and queer folks and this movie. And we know that the Babadook has like some queer urban legends surrounding it um but as we're on a topic of a pandemic and of people dying i think that um our queer community knows better than anyone what it's like for there to be fear and death and rules and people not responding to your needs and moralizing health and all kinds of things like that and it's it's painful to see in real time. Um, I realize I was alive, you know, towards the tail end of the AIDS epidemic, but it really makes me think a lot about people watching all of their friends die or mm-hmm. all of your community. Like literally meeting. their extended family. Yeah. You're like access Gone. to health care and medication and testing and, and people not knowing what something is and it being novel and, all of the and you're hearing new information that. daily and you're hearing lies and you're hearing untruths yeah. and yeah, it's scary. And it was really Mark Horton. I, for like the first month of this thing, I was like feeling, I didn't know what I was feeling until he sent me this article by this really great writer. I can't remember her name, but it was literally just like, Hey everyone, you're feeling grief right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it was really nice to finally just have that. Oh, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like it makes you, it made me able to tackle it a little bit better, I guess. Or yeah. Like ex- when you can name it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. It's like scary to name it, but it's also useful. And I think mm-hmm. that queer people, I mean, not everyone has this history as a queer person, but a lot of us have had to grieve 
like the loss of family members who haven't died. They're just dead to us at this point. Mm. And um, I think we are no stranger to that kind of pain, unfortunately. And it's fucked up that our parents or whoever we've had to cut out of our life think that they've also, they're also grieving a loss of who they used to know. (laughs) Right. And it's like, you know, if you, if you are grieving, honestly, if you're grieving a loss of who I was, I'm not sure that you are loving me completely and wholly or the way that I want to be loved. Like, I understand that you you feel what you feel. So like, I guess you have to process your grief, but that's that's not my that's not my burden oh you're sad that and at the end of the day you don't know me then yeah because you're grieving something that doesn't exist yeah or someone that doesn't exist you know so Um, what i mean we know that there's like this history and meme culture and (laughs) culmination of pride and us adopting Baba Duke into our family and inviting him to the picnic and whatnot. But what do you think of that? What I mean, I I feel like I have Googled a thousand times, like how exactly the Baba Duke (laughs) ended up being one of our icons. Um, There's a really good Vox article about it. Well, it started with that mistake on the Netflix algorithm, right? Well, actually, if this Vox article is really great because it actually even goes into subcultures on the internet and how a lot of true memes actually start in places like Reddit mm-hmm. and then find mm-hmm. their way to Twitter eventually, and they're usually like a weir- a year old at that point. Um, and they actually trace the Babadook one to a Reddit thread, like the year before Netflix. Oh. Netflix did that. Okay. But Netflix is the Netflix Twitter account is what made it global. I think. No, I mean, well, my perception of how it started or like what I saw happening was, I don't know if it was a doctored image or whatever, but I saw an image of a like Netflix page that was Mm -hmm. suggesting the Babadook as an LGBTQ drama. And I just thought it was like an algorithm mistake (laughs) that people were kind of jumping on and making it a whole thing and building a story out of it. But maybe it came from that. I'm not sure, but that's the first thing I remember seeing of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, I'm looking at the article right now, like Tumblr is where it started gaining steam and then it really exploded with exactly what you just said. The um, it being under the LGBTQ section on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so then we adopt this person into our community and we're like, ah, LGBT icon. Um, I'm actually chatting it to you both so you can read the article on Zoom. Oh, okay. oh perfect. And then, you yeah. know, Pride and its corporate it's modern corporate nature um, picks up Baba Duke. Do you like, I, I would like to hear other people's opinions, but I, I feel like Baba Duke is something it's like, we made a joke and people like jokes. Yes. Um, and we're hilarious. So it picks up steam, but it, other than like us relating to something in a movie, it's like this, this movie isn't, inherently queer for any particular reason no. like obviously no, grief, I don't is think very, so. grief is very relatable to us but and it's universal yeah it's universal but me and i think i mentioned this to you on a pre-show phone call like a week ago is i think the queerest thing 
about the Babadook is that we made the Babadook gay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. does that make sense? Like, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Leave like, it to queer people to make something super queer that really isn't inherently queer. And like, to me, that's the queerest thing about this movie. Well, what what I would say <laughs> is that we as a collective have been trained to find ourselves in spaces yes. where we don't exist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the culture, uh, not currently, but even less in the past, it is not tailored towards us. It does not represent us and it does not include us. And we have to find ourselves in the cracks of everything. Right. Um, like that's where, you know, the concept of queering a work comes from is right. by mm-hmm. applying your thoughts and life and experience to something mm-hmm. that is not reflecting it. And I think in that way, the Babadook is queer because I think everything is queer because we can take whatever the fuck we want. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but also no, the Babadook's not queer, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, well, that's why like, to me, it's like so great. Like it, it makes me laugh, but it also makes me really happy, you know, and like not in like a joking way or like a, and I don't laugh at it. I laugh with it because like, to me, there's just nothing gayer than a bunch of gay people pointing at something and going, you know what? We're making that gay today. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, that's like the story of this, the Babadook becoming a queer icon to me. And I think that's so great and so funny. And as I said, it's the queerest thing about the movie. And it really has nothing to do with the movie. It's like what we've labeled the movie, I guess. Also, we're so used I mean, I guess Babadook isn't a villain. He's a monster. But we're so used to being the villain in a movie, I feel like. That's too. Like, that's the queerest person in this movie. Um, Because it's... Yeah, because it's like grief. The scariest person. (laughs) You know, like grief in the film, like the trajectory of it is like, you fight it, you fight it, fight it, and then it gets to a place where you accept it. And that's like the the metaphor of her letting... Mm -hmm the Babadook live in her basement and she's going to feed it. You got to feed your grief from time to time. Right. In a lot of ways it could be, you could look at it as like, you know, like family members not fully embracing your queerness, but going, you know what? You can stay in the basement when you come and visit and I'll bring you a snack. (laughs) Like in a lot of ways, you know, like to get really, really, really Debbie Downer about it. I mean, that is a way to look at it if you really want to look at some of the messages. That is tolerance. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, that is tolerance. I mean, um, I think we know that grief, when we grieve someone, like we don't ever stop. It just changes. It just processes. It just yeah. shifts. Kind of like the book, the way the book changed People. once they were like moving uh-huh. through the movie. And so... Yeah, there's always going to be grief hidden somewhere. We don't really know what's going to bring it up or we do know, but (laughs) you get surprised sometimes. Like when you saw your dad's handwriting, like, oh shit, like all of a sudden I'm crying. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just give it a bowl of worms every once in a while and it stays down Mm -hmm. there and (laughs) you let it get real when you need to get real. But yeah, because if you don't feed it, it'll just get fucking angry. Yeah, you have to acknowledge its presence. You have to, because it's there, and it's eating at you. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really, sorry. (laughs) What be? Oh, just that actually, like, this is not actually something I've ever talked about on the show, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it, because we we don't need to. Um, But 
my in in high school my life and my group of friends was really affected by a, a classmate suicide um and that is something like i do have to feed that worm sometimes like there yeah. are times in my life where you know i'm at home and i'm in bed and i just kind of think about it and it's not i'm sorry brennan no look you know it's i'm you know i, I don't know what to say thank you <laughs> yeah I mean. um but basically it's not like a poking at it to make myself feel bad it's you just sometimes have to like kind of go down into that basement get those worms mm-hmm. out and just be like, all right, we're going to sit together and we're going to have a little mm-hmm. chat, you and I, and then I'm going to go Figure back upstairs and I'm going to be okay. <laughs> Sometimes you're yeah. craving yeah. the basement. You're craving the basement. Yeah, you're like, I'm going to put on sad songs. I'm going to think about sad shit for hours. I'm going to make myself cry. <laughs> I'm going to YouTube videos of like dogs reuniting with their owners. Like I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to fuck it. I mean, how many times, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but there's, plenty of times where I'm like, Oh, I want to put on this movie so I can cry. Yeah. Like every time I watch to kill a mockingbird, it's so I can cry Aww. at the end of that movie. Yeah. I fucking love that movie. And it gives me a nice cry every single time. I watch. Oh yeah. I'm like, let oh, me yeah. watch hope floats. Okay. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> no. And that's really great too, to be able to transpose it onto something. Like I was going through a pretty hard time about a year ago and there's a song called Tenterfield Saddler by Peter Allen, who is a, a queer artist who was actually married to Liza Minnelli, which is about the gayest thing to do. Um, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, but 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 that song is about his relationship. Well, he wrote that song after his grandfather passed away, and it was kind of uh, um, about the relationship between his grandfather and his father and him, and kind of like about the men in his life and the ways that they did not understand him and the ways that he doesn't understand them. And he's trying to reconcile it. And look, that's nothing like what I was going through, but I listened to that song and sobbed for like a full three minutes in my bathroom once. And I felt so good afterwards. Bomb. Yeah, hell yeah. Bomb. So bomb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if you sing <laughs> Adele's hello, I don't even feel that way about anybody, but I will get emotional. Oh yeah, there's some really yeah. good songs off her really, really, really breakthrough album. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chasing Pavements one. Ugh. I think it was like 23. I think was the album. I um, like 19 personally the best, but um, yeah. The one that, wow. one that what was the set fire to the rain? That song mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. and sure did always did me in. <laughs> set fire right to the rain. Okay. Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, so with all of that, I think there's there was definitely um, a misconception of that the Babadook meant something else to queer people that it doesn't necessarily mean. Um, I it, feel it's like, one of those things. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. It's one of those things that people outside of the community don't fully understand, and thus think is like actually there's no degree of irony to it. <laughs> yeah, they're just like making jokes and to get laughs, and they don't know what it means. Kind of like some white people when they use certain AAVE, African-American vernacular English. I'm like, you don't really know what that means, do you? Because <laughs> <laughs> you are not using that correctly whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but in terms of pride and the corporate side of pride, and I know we always have to like assign whether uh, a movie we watch gets a pride float. I want to know what, I mean, Pride has been canceled this year, as we know, mm-hmm. in terms of the formal. Yeah, so you, you, 
So corporations are off the hook. So corpor- you know damn <laughs> right. fucking well they're not going to do shit in June. I would like them to reallocate that money to like actual queer people. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what? Or they'll just put I the mean, picture on their account with a rainbow. Right. Look, that's our, that's our pride um, contribution this year. I know we don't know what pride's going to look like going forward, but what what would your like ideal pride event look like? Oh. <sighs> well, <laughs> um, for me, I'm a very low key person. I'm not really a party person. You? <laughs> I know. <laughs> look, getting me out to pride is an endeavor in general. As <laughs> like, I'm not 18 anymore. <laughs> um, but for me, one of my favorite like kind of queer experiences is just like experiencing like being in a i don't know quote unquote collective i guess or like being a part of a community in some way and what represents that to me is like being on a beanbag chair that is truly enormous and just squishing together and just like being together and maybe watching a movie or so like i don't know there's something playing music videos or something but just like kind of existing way too close to one another and just kind of vibing (laughs) Yeah, mine is very similar, actually, because, Nay, when you asked us to come up with this, I immediately started thinking, like, okay, what kind of parade would I want, and what kind of party, and I was like, wait a minute, I don't need to do any of that. It's my pride. Yeah. You know, like, my event. So I settled on, again, simplicity. I love nothing more in life than watching a scary movie I love with queer friends and allies that I am close with. And I do this. This is literally what I do for my birthday every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to do something like that in a wider capacity, whether it's at like a, a Hollywood forever cemetery type screening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know how I would figure it out, but there would be no performative allies allowed. I don't know how you can get away with doing that or what kind of stress test you have to do, but it has to be true allies and queer people and stuff. Um, no bachelorette parties. No bachelorette parties. Right. Um, but I would want to pick a movie like Jennifer's Body or something that's really important to me, not only as a queer person, but as like a filmmaker. Um and I also would want to add a component where I do the same screening, but with a group of queer folks and allies who have never seen it before. Ooh. So it's literally me surrounded by people who have never seen a movie I love. Because besides Cute. seeing a movie yeah. I love or falling in love with a movie, I love nothing more than watching somebody watch a movie I adore. There's like, I just live like live for watching somebody watch Scream 2 for the first time. Like, or live for somebody watching Jaws for the first time, believe it or not. I've actually done that before. Um, so that would be my event. And the other thing that is required is fucking bomb ass food. <laughs> right. Bomb Please food. have food at the party. Please like, do not invite food. me to a cocaine and cigarette party where no, there's no, no food. Cigarette, no cocaine, no vaping. Good no Lord, Los Angeles. Um, like, nay, remember my birthday when we had a fucking giant crock pot of nacho cheese yes i do and then next to it was a giant bucket of tortilla chips and that was like one of the three things you could eat at my birthday that's what i want for everybody yes i do and then um pickled jalapenos and maybe a little ground beef 
Yes, I remember every exact ingredient (laughs) and every (laughs) food item that was at your birthday party. So good. And a hot dog. (laughs) Um, Cute. Mm-hmm. Cute. That's what I want. What about you? Uh, I okay. So this is my ideal pride event. So like, if mm-hmm. it's not your ideal event, you ain't gotta come. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it would definitely be that. a day party. I love a day party. I'm too mm-hmm. old to be like going to the club at midnight. Like I can't do that <laughs> that often. Um, day party tops optional. No children. I yeah. should have added that. Glory holes. Ooh. Um, and like on the other side is the traditional thing, right? Is Because I would love a glory hole, now that you mentioned glory holes, with nacho cheese on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and you just don't know what flavor it's going to be? Yes, or like you think you're going in there and you think you're going to be like, I don't know. Then someone just puts a chip in your mouth instead. Imagine how bomb <laughs> that would be. <laughs> no, I don't. These glory holes, it's you always are going to know what's going in your mouth because you've already consented Whatever. to it. So there's no surprise chips, nothing like that. No Perfect. surprises at the glory holes. Okay. <laughs> um, but there are various ones. There's titty glory holes. There's all kinds. Okay. You know. Um, Love it. Yeah. No children. And you can do drugs at the party. And um. Yeah, I think that's my ideal pride event. <laughs> yeah, that sounds bomb too. It does sound great. Yeah. <sighs> See, I love that. One day. I love that we literally just like really made it our own. Because I literally <laughs> sat for like two hours at one point and I was like, what kind of party would I have? And then I was like, wait a minute, I don't need to have a fucking party. Michael, Michael's like, I would just have a larger birthday party. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's all. Birthday, my birthday party at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yes. Oh my God. That pride, so everyone amazing. brings me a present. <laughs> yes. I, that's I'm, the other thing. I'm, everyone brings me gifts. Right. I watched um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre at Hollywood Forever one summer. And it was amazing. Actually, it was on May 19th uh, or like 18th. It was around the same time. It was the same weekend in like 2014. No kidding. Cool story. Um, But (laughs) yeah. I actually think the last Um, movie I saw at the cemetery was the original Halloween. Nice. Yeah. They had a special screening. Um, It was really fun. I was with a friend who had never seen it. And her husband had never seen it, and they were both scared shitless. <laughs> and these are two people that pre-movie were like, "We really don't watch horror movies." <laughs> um, yeah, now they <laughs> do nothing but watch horror movies. Of course, I watched Child's Play the other night, and I oh. guess it's been a really, really long time. It scared it. I was like, "This shit was scary as hell when I was a kid." I remember oh, being terrified during that movie. It's um, still scary. I as have shit. a friend. I have a friend who, like, I'll send him a picture of Chucky and he'll freak out. That's stupid. Ami. <laughs> you, know, Ami. you know my friend Ami uh, Renee? Yes. Oh, my God. Home. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. He, okay, like, is terrified. That's killing me. No. So you should text a picture to David <laughs> and say, can you show this to Ami? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I'm going to start doing that. Sorry, Ami. Um, I would die yeah. for a Chucky doll. I need one so bad. And a Tiff. Oh. Neat. Sergio used to have a Chucky doll as a child. He did um, that's amazing. And he he loved like, it till 
he thought it was talking to him and he threw it away. Well, <laughs> was it the size? Yeah, it was like a what a Chucky doll would be, but in real life, like that exact oh, wow. situation. Holy shit. Okay. That's yeah, they made those really for scary. Well, it's really scary. Does Babadook get a pride float? Um, no, but yeah. No, they uh they'll be stationed right next to the Wells Fargo tent. <laughs> Yeah, they're um, just a tent handing out cash to queer people. That's, that's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> okay. not, it's not a wealth prolong. redistribution event um, <laughs> where rich people give gays money and uh, queer folks money. Um, that's trans really folks funny. Money. Trans women of color get the biggest checks. Like that's yes. why we're doing this. Big bills. Perfect. And uh, that was nice. Say, Brennan? Yeah. And uh, I don't want to prolong this conversation by too much, but I don't necessarily understand the jokes that are being made about Babadook being corporate at Pride. Like, I have not been to Pride in a couple of years. I don't know what what this is, uh, what happened. Like, what happened with that? <laughs> I think it was Man, just gotta, you- an opportunity. Like, there was some kind of mainstream media thing that was yes. identifiable to these corporations, and I don't actually know. It's a great question. Y'all can fill us in. Yeah, please. Let us okay. know what the, the hell's up. That Vox article I sent you actually goes into, they don't really reference it as corporate, but they kind of go into how the meme itself kind of goes through the phases of like how like corporations have started to with pride mm-hmm. okay. and how like the meme itself eventually got to a point that like YouTubers and shit with like hundreds of million followers were then branding or then taking the meme and using it. And then that's like the death now for me. Okay. It's the mainstream so of it. Yes. That's like the, that's like Wells Fargo tweeting out like, a movie meme and being like, we're Bay for Wonder Woman. And then it's like, okay, well, <laughs> Wonder Woman's no longer a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, so like that to me is how it read to me. If you read this box article I sent, and maybe we should post it on our socials next week or when this airs, um, which is in like two days. Um, I think that to me, that's kind of how I've always interpreted it. Gotcha. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah just, I was yeah. like, is there something I'm missing? I guess not. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, I'll read probably. That article. They're going to have to let oh, us know. Yeah. Well, where can we find everyone on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Michael Ken Ken. You can find me on Instagram at Michael TJ Kennedy. Um, you can find. Oh, uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Wolf Pod. Join our Facebook group at Attack of the Queer Wolf Pack. It's moderated by BJ Colangelo, who was on the show a couple weeks ago. Um, you can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brands. You can find me on Instagram. And now, also, you can find me on TikTok at The Burning. Ooh, wow. I started one. Get it. I am, Get it. I am it- a content creator. What? It's The Burning Clem. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed in put your the word beard with your f- fully fresh beard well thank you like brennan's new beard or something but that's fine i mean i didn't want to pigeonhole myself <laughs> the beard yeah, is featured in the video you can find me on twitter at black cupcake you can find me on instagram at black cupcake don't worry about my art account because i haven't posted during the pandemic um 
And once I feel creative again, I will do that. Uh, take your time. Yeah. It always comes back. I'm not worried about it. It always comes back. Um, that's it. Y'all take care of yourselves. It's a lot of fun. Yes. Bye. Bye. Attack of the Queer Wolf is a member of the Fangoria Podcast Network. Hosted and produced by Brennan Klein, Michael Kennedy, and Renee Beaver. Sound recording, mixing, and editing by Ernie Hurtado. Recorded at the Rebel, at the Rebel Talk Network in Los Angeles. Music by Von Kiss. Logo art and design by John Holland. For Fangoria, Dallas Sanye, Phil Nobile Jr., Jessica Safavamir, Brandon Wynerdy, Natasha Pacetta, and Rob the Loser. Yeah,